welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. one of the pastors here, and I've been praying for all of you guys, like, for the past two weeks, every single day, and I really believe that God has something specific to say to you guys, and to get you up to date, we've been walking through uh, this series called Mountain. We've talked about things like approval, fulfillment, forgiveness, transformation, lust, sexuality, and today I'll be teaching on what Jesus has to say about treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. Remember that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are all one sermon. And what God is trying to do is create Christian character. People who would be radically sold out for Jesus Christ and his kingdom mission to make his name known to all peoples. We have many names for God. He is our redeemer. He is our friend. He is our king. He is our cornerstone. But in John 15, 1, it says, God is a gardener. And in order to live out the lives that God wants for us, for his glory and his mission, he has to prune out unhealthy and inordinate desires from our hearts. And so my hope for you today is that God would radically and joyfully change your heart so that you can start living out your eternal destiny now. And so our bottom line for today is you were made for the eternal to show the world the eternal. Can we, I mean, let's go with Adam's team. Can we say this together? You are made for the eternal to show the world the eternal. And so if we go to what Jesus says in verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. What does Jesus mean by treasure? Yes, a treasure can be your children, a career, a spouse, success, approval. But in this case, Jesus is specifically talking about material wealth and money. And during his time, he saw religious leaders who were obsessed, or religious leaders and people who were obsessed with money and material wealth. Lay up in this passage literally means to stack up, as if you were stacking up coins. It implies the sin of greed. Material wealth in our day could be a car, clothes, a house, retirement, uh, retirement funds, stocks, your bank account, your electronics, things like that. And as a side note, Jesus isn't saying that material wealth is bad or money is bad. And one of the most misquoted Bible verses is 1 Timothy 6.10. And people often say that money is the root of all evil. But the correct quote is, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So it's not that money is the root of evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Remember in the book of Genesis in the garden, he gives us dominion over wealth and possessions, and then he tells us to enjoy them. So the issue is not that we want bad things, but the issue is that we want good things so badly. There is an inordinate desire or unhealthy passion for these things. Then another side note, he isn't saying that you need to go and sell everything and to live a life of poverty. 
Many of the people were extremely wealthy and still followers of God in the Bible. You have people like Job, Abraham, Moses, Lydia, King David, and Joseph, and and a bunch of other people. Now, if you wanted to go and sell everything so that others can have more to the glory of God, that would be okay. Because sometimes God does call people to sell everything in order to follow him. And so you see, it isn't about the dollar value or how much you have that is the problem, but it's the heart motive and what you do with those things and why you want them. So the problem isn't the dollar value or how much you have that is the problem, but it's the heart motive and what you do with those things and why you want them. A person who is rich, yet humble, is a rare thing in this world. And that is why Jesus warns us about greed five times more than any other sin in the Gospels. And so the key for us in this verse is right in the beginning. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. So the key is yourselves. In the Lord of the Rings, uh, there's a person named Smeagol. Or he's, he's a golem, right? Golem? Golem. Golem. I put person here so I don't want to mess this up. But there's, yeah, he, there's a Smeagol. And, and so he's obsessed with his gold ring and he calls it, he calls it my precious. I'm not going to do the voice. And, but you guys are hearing it in your head right now. And over time, this ring makes his heart more morally dark and hardened. He becomes more nasty, more selfish, more deceitful, and then more and more like Satan. He feels in the deepest part of his soul that if he just has this ring, he will be worth something, and the deepest longing of his heart will be fulfilled. Here are some quotes from Smeagol from The Lord of the Rings, (laughs) without doing the voice. (laughs) I actually practiced the whole week, and I was like, oh, should I try? I was like, no, it'll, no, it'll, I can't, come on, come on, guys, I can't. (laughs) Precious. No, that's, oh, that's bad, I can't. All right, let's, okay, let's, let's focus. <laughs> it came to me, my own, my love, my own, my precious. Lost, lost, my precious is lost. The thieves, the thieves, the filthy little thieves. Where is it? Where is it? They stole it from us. My precious, curse them. We hate them. It's ours. It is, and we wants it. We wants it. We needs it. Must have the precious. They stole it from us. Sneaky little hobbitses. Wicked Trixie's false. <laughs> That's, you should be up here. I know you want to do the voice, Kelly. And so I know that some of you have heard those parts, and, and we're laughing now at how crazy and irrational he was being. But what the producer J.R.R. Tolkien is getting at, and what the author Matthew is getting at, and what Jesus is ultimately getting at, is that at the center of everyone's heart is a precious. There is a treasure. This treasure could be something that gives you ultimate meaning and purpose in life. It drives your emotions, your will, and your reason. It has captivated your heart. Yes, you might say Jesus is Lord. Yes, you might come to church every Sunday. Yes, you might give tithes. Yes, you might serve. But Jesus says, even with all of this, there could be something sitting at the throne of your heart where only God is supposed to reign. That is why Jesus says in the chapter later, I think it's chapter 7, verse 22, many people will say, Lord, Lord, 
didn't I go to church? Didn't I serve? Didn't I lead worship? But Jesus will say, I never knew you. You never had a relationship with me, and you only gave me religion. Satan doesn't care if you come to church, but he trembles if you start being the church. He doesn't care if hundreds or thousands of people come in and out of TLC, but he fears if you start living out the kingdom mission that God has called you to live. What is the church's mission? What does your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Whenever God calls you in, he always calls you back out. When he calls Abraham in, he sends him out to the land of Canaan. When he calls Moses, he sends him out to the land of Egypt. When he calls the apostle Paul in, he sends him out to be a missionary. When he calls his disciples in, he sends them out to the world. And when he calls Jesus Christ in, he sends them to the cross. God never gives grace and love to be enjoyed in a consumeristic, individualistic way. But he calls you to engage your domains and to integrate yourself so that you can be a light of love and selfless sacrifice in those places that you are right now. Does your work look different because you are there? Students, does your school look different because you are there? Does your family and friends look different because you are there? Does your leadership team look different because you are there? Does your business look different because you are there? In other words, are you making an eternal difference where God has placed you right now? The reason why you are working where you are right now is because God made that your mission field. The reason why God has blessed you with influence and leadership is because he wants you to point people to the real leader, Jesus Christ. The reason why Jesus, reason why Jesus blesses you with a certain income is because he wants you to bless other people financially. The reason why God blesses you with certain things like a car is so that he can bless, so that you can bless people with it. But what hinders the mission of God and what competes for your heart is you wanting to hold on to your life. The culture will promote the false gospel that if you just have more worldly possessions and treasures, you will be happy. And for a short time, you are. But in the long run, you feel more empty and dissatisfied. When all said and done and the sun burns out and the stars explode and humanity goes extinct, a billion years from now, the only two things that will last forever are God and God's people. Eternity doesn't have to be something you experience when you die. But Jesus actually says the kingdom of heaven is at hand now. This is something that's palpable now that you can experience on this earth. And then we go to verse 20. Where Jesus says, but do not lay up for yourselves or lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. In essence, he is saying, use or leverage your possessions, your resources, and your money to the glory of God and for the eternal purposes that he has for you. But he is restoring creation, and he is trying to give people a taste of what heaven is like through the means of the church, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and the gifts that he's given each and every single one of you. 
Let me ask you guys this question. When non-believers look at your life, can they tell that you are using your possessions and money for the glory of God? Can they tell that you are living in such generosity that when people look at your life, they will say that there's something radically different? Or when people look at your life, do they see that you are treating your possessions like the rest of the world? You see, materialistic people say, how can I get more? Kingdom people say, how can I give more? Materialistic people say, everything I have is mine. And kingdom people say, everything I have is God's. Materialistic people say, my identity is in my possessions. What kingdom people say, my identity is in Jesus Christ. Your choice of lifestyle should never hinder your kingdom generosity, but rather your kingdom generosity should hinder your lifestyle. Your, king, or your choice of lifestyle should never hinder your kingdom generosity, but rather your kingdom generosity should hinder your lifestyle. In other words, we have it so backwards. It is either your kingdom come and your will be done, or his kingdom come and his will be done. You can't have it both ways. Through the Bible, why does God always ask us to give us his first fruits? Why does he always say, give me your possessions first? Give me your finances first? Is it because, is it because God needs the money? No, it's not because he wants your money, but it's because he wants you. This is our way of saying, my heart is first and foremost you, yours. My priority is yours. My allegiance is yours first. Everything that I have is already yours, and you are just asking for a small portion back to show a sign of gratitude and to advance your kingdom. Isn't that fair and rational? And isn't it very unfair and irrational when we don't do it? Uh, I'm, I don't know if you guys know, I think Adam mentioned it, but I'm one of the youth pastors here. And I hope he's not here because I'm going to be talking about him. Okay, he's in Kid City. Um, after service, um, I saw one of our youth, and he was like opening up this little like Cadbury egg with a purple tinfoil. And this is somebody who I've blessed, who I've loved, um, who I would like, call like my own kid. And I asked him for a little piece, and without even looking at me, he says, no. And I was like, huh? I was like, what? But I've done so much for you. <laughs> and I served you, I blessed you, I bought you food. That's not him, by the way. He's like, he's coming up. No, okay. <laughs> up. And the Spirit just started ministering to my heart and convicting me. And it felt like God was saying, isn't this how my children treat me? But I've given them so much, even my own son who was murdered on a cross, but they still turn their backs on me and say no. They still won't give up their possessions and money for my kingdom. This is how selfish, in, or selfish our hearts can get. But some of you might be saying, well, I've worked hard for my degree. I've worked so many hours to get promoted. And no one knows how hard I've had to work and how much I've had to sacrifice to get where I am right now. I've earned all of this, so don't I deserve it? But God, in all his perfect judgment and wisdom, can say, well, how did you earn all of this? 
with the able body that I've given you, with the brain that I've created for you, with the circumstances and opportunities I provided for you. You didn't choose your race. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your language. You didn't choose where you were going to be born. And we live in one of the most wealthiest and privileged countries in the world. Do you guys know the chances of, of like a single person being alive? So one person being alive. Scientists have actually calculated the probability of you being alive right now and in, in, in this room. They took into account uh, wars, plagues, diseases, dinosaurs, and other factors. And they concluded that the chances of you being alive right now is 400 trillion. I don't even know how many zeros that is, but it's, it's a lot. The chances are very, 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 very slim. And when you say that it's all mine and I deserve it, it is one of the most outrageous and irrational things someone can say. Everything you have is a gift. So humble yourselves and leverage it for the kingdom and not your own gain because God deserves all of our praise and worship. And then Jesus goes to verse 21, and this is what he says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be is. There your heart will be also. So for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, some of you guys know that I used to be uh, in a gang and a drug dealer. I used to make thousands of dollars a month. And this was more money that I've ever seen or made in my life. I actually had to buy a money counter. And you know in those gangster or mafia movies, hopefully that you don't watch now, but where the goons are counting up their profits, and you can hear like two or three money counters flipping through thousands of dollars? Well, that was me. I had lots of material wealth and money. I bought a BMW. I bought a watch that was almost $10,000. And I wore expensive brand name clothing. Well, now I shop at H&M. <laughs> this was the extravagant lifestyle that I was living because this was my identity. This is what, what I was saying in the center of my heart was if I had these things, if I was rich, if I hung out with millionaires, which I did, I'd be happy. But after years of doing this, the disillusionment started to set in. The happiness and joy and fulfillment that the world said I would have, if I just had these things, left me more empty and depressed. The world says invest in yourself, promote yourself, hoard up for yourself. But Jesus says, die to yourself. Die to your greed. Die to the materialism of your heart so that you can truly start to live an eternal life that God wants for you now. Now, I became a Christian in, in 2011, early 2011, and in the quietness and desperation of my room, I prayed out to God, and I repented for my sins, and I put my trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and everything changed after that. I went from making up to $1,000 an hour to making $10 an hour at my family cleaning business. I went from CEO of my own company to being an employee. I went from a freelance entrepreneur to working a dead-end job. And I was so mad and frustrated for the first few years of my Christian walk. I remember asking myself, is this what it means to follow Jesus? And there's this thing that I read recently. And it says that patience is bitter, 
but the fruit is sweet. And God, by his grace, was tearing out the impurities of my heart, the greed, the selfishness, the treasures that I built my life on. And this was in order for him to prepare me for kingdom work. When I was a drug dealer, I was making more money than I ever did, and I never felt so empty. But now, as a child of God, I've never made such little money, but I've never felt more fulfilled. Where once money and possessions was enslaving me, God broke those chains from my life. And this is what he wants to do with you through the transformative power of Jesus Christ. He wants you to put to death the old self and to give you new life in him. Yes, it will be painful. Yes, it will cost you something. But God is worth it and he proved it by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. Your treasure won't die for your sins. But Jesus did, and this is how we know we can trust him. When we sacrifice for God, it will cost us our resources, our finances, our time, our energy. But when Jesus sacrificed for us, it cost him his life. And if we actually understand what he's done for us, the only radical and natural response would be to bow the heart before him and say joyfully and with full allegiance, your wish is my command. So only when we die to ourselves in this way can we truly start to live. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 22, The eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And then verse 23 says, But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. In the ancient Jewish time, the eye represented the deepest desires of somebody's heart. In other words, whatever you set your eyes on, whatever sits at the center of your heart, whatever is your precious, you will either be full of light or darkness, but you can't have both of them. That fruit of light will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which will be a witness for Jesus Christ that will last for all eternity. But if you are greedy, if you try to build your own kingdom, if your heart is darkened and you don't put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you will reap emptiness, worry, anxiety, and that will last for all eternity. The things of this world were never meant to carry the weight and longings of your heart. Do you want approval? Do you want unconditional and unrelentless love? Do you want a joy and a true fulfillment that will last forever? The fleeting things of this world will never satisfy you. Only Jesus can And so go to him again and again and again and again and again and press that truth of love and sacrifice into your heart every single day. The eye and what you put your gaze on is one of the acid tests of whether or not you might be a true follower of Jesus. And then we move on to verse uh, 23, the latter part, B. If then the light in you is darkness... How great is the darkness? If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And it sounds, reading that verse in the beginning sounds sort of confusing, but I'm going to unpack it for you guys. It's actually pretty simple. 
Jesus here is talking about people who are deceived. Now, the scary thing is most people in this room probably don't think that they struggle with greed or materialism. I've been in ministry for the past seven years, and rarely has anyone come to me and confessed the sin of greed and materialism. People confess all sorts of sins because they're obvious. When you commit adultery, you know you're committing adultery. When you lie, you know you're lying. When you steal, you know you're stealing. But greed has a way of hiding itself. It has a way of crouching. This is why Jesus warns and talks about money and possessions more than any other sin in the Gospels because he knows that our hearts can easily be inclined to be greedy and materialistic and justify so easily why we are not. All we have to do is to look outside of us at somebody else living more affluently. This could be a family member, celebrity, a friend, a neighbor, and we point the finger at them and we say, like, that person is rich, that person is materialistic, not me. And we justify so easily, and it's so automatic. Here is a sign that materialism and greed might be lurking in your heart. There are things in your life right now that used to be luxuries, which now have become necessities. So things that used to be luxuries now have become necessities. You start making a bit more money. You are in a higher socioeconomic bracket, which brings you to a higher status in society. You start eating at more expensive restaurants. You wear more expensive clothing. And you buy, more, you buy a more expensive car. You make more worldly investments. You buy a bigger home. And where you were once able and fully and capably, once you were able um, to fully and capably function without more stuff and actually be content about it, now these things have captured your heart and you feel like you can't live without them. This is the great darkness that Jesus is talking about. And when people say, I don't have enough to give, I can't support missionaries, I can't give to my church, I can't give more than I, I can or I do right now. What most people say, if you scratch the surface and you go straight to the heart, most people are really saying that I don't want to sacrifice my way of living in order to give back. In other words, I have comforts, I have conveniences, I have luxuries that I don't want to sacrifice. But church, there are always areas in your life that you can give up in order to give for the church and the sake of Jesus Christ. We will always make time and room for the uh, time and room and sacrifice for things that we truly treasure. But we don't want to go there. We don't want to ask ourselves those hard questions. Can I live more simply? Can I give up something in order so that my church or the needy can have more? How many of you have asked yourselves recently, am I greedy or materialistic? And here's a classic example of deceit and justification. And I heard so many people say, I don't have enough money or I'm broke. But then they get into a relationship or they want to buy a new phone or a new pair of shoes or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, they have the finances for it. You see, people think that they are living lives of light, but it's actually darkness and because that darkness is so dark, you are actually deceived and living in greed and disobedience. I hear millennials say all the time, when I find a job or when I get out of debt, I will start giving to the mission of God. 
But I want to remind you guys that once you get older, you'll have a mortgage or you'll have rent to pay. You'll have a spouse to support. You might have kids in which you'll kiss at least 18 years of your finances away, at least minimum. And the older you get, the more responsibilities you will have and the more your finances will be spreadly, uh, spread out thinly. So start building that spiritual muscle of giving and faith right now because you won't do it later. You'll find more excuses and more justifications on why you don't have enough. But God always gives us enough in order for us to give to other people. Then we go to verse 24. And Jesus says, if you've missed all of that, I'm going to narrow it down even more. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus says that you cannot serve two masters. He is literally saying, if you love money, if you love materialism, that you hate God. In other words, if your life is built on the sinking sand of money and materialism, if your worth and identity is your, if your worth And if this is your worth and identity, if you have done everything in your power to obtain more of it, if this is why you chose the school you wanted to go to, if this is the reason for your degree, if this is why you're working in the career you're working in now, if this is the reason why you married your spouse or the one main quality you are looking for in a spouse, and you hear that the God of the Bible is asking you to give it up or to live a more simple life in order to advance his kingdom, You won't want to do it. You'll despise anything that gets in the way of the one thing that has captured your heart. And either that will be God or earthly treasures. And then Jesus gets more stark and he says this in verse 25. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. This is one of the hard sayings of Jesus because it's a salvation issue. It is whether or not one day you will end up in the everlasting arms of God or in a Christless eternity. Someone might be thinking, so are you saying if I don't give my money, is Jesus saying that I'm going to hell? I thought you were saved by grace through faith and not by being morally good. And you're right. A person is only saved by trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and not by being morally good. It's Jesus' righteousness, not yours. Your giving is not a way to salvation, but it is a sign of it. Your giving is not a way to salvation, but a sign of it. By the way you live and the fruit you produce for God is a sign that the gospel is transforming you day by day And some of you might be going through seasons where materialism and money has captured your heart. But God always gives you the grace and mercy to move forward. Christians know that we are not sinless, but we do sin less. So yes, we might have ups and downs, But there should be a steady and positive upward growth in your sanctification, in your pursuing of Jesus. So how do we know? What are some indicators or or questions that we can ask 
to know if materialism or money might be God, or materialism might be your God. So number one, is it up there? Yeah. You don't sacrificially give. You only give when you have an overflow of income. In other words, you only give when it's convenient and when it doesn't make a dent in your life. Number two, you find it difficult to be generous. You treat your income as your own and not a gift from God. You don't joyfully give 10% to the church, but even if you do, you use that as a justification to be materialistic and greedy. You see, I give what God requires, therefore I can do what I want with the rest of my money in life. Number four, you tell yourself that you don't have money. But when your heart is captivated by something, you adjust. Your financial decision-making is always, how can I build my own kingdom? And never, how can I, or is never, or how can I build my own kingdom? And never, how can I build his kingdom? You don't want to ask yourselves, how can I live more simply in order to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ? See, a lot of you come and worship and you pray and you attend church, but in the deepest part of your heart, you are still holding on to something. In Genesis 22, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And if you know the story, Abraham brings a knife up to, up to do what the Lord says. And there's context to that. If, if you don't know what, what that means, you can ask one of the pastors after because it sounds awkward. And just as Abraham is about to strike his son, the Lord stops him. And because we know that Abraham was willing to give up his son, a son that he treasured, we know that God was his ultimate treasure. So some of you are saying, Lord, I'll obey anything you ask. Lord, I'll give up anything. Lord, I love you. But you are holding on to a rubber knife. You are saying, I'll give up everything, but not in this area, not in my finances, not in my resources. In other words, you are saying, I want to come to you on my own terms and not yours. And if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he cannot be Lord at all. He doesn't just want obedience from parts of your life, but he wants obedience from all of your life. And this is what it means to follow Jesus. And so where can we get the power to do this? Where do we get the power to live, live lives radically sold out for Jesus? We know it's not enough just to feel guilty. We know it's not enough just to self-talk your way into discipline. We already know the Bible says we can't trust our own hearts. We need something outside of us to empower us to live for the kingdom and for the glory of God. In other words, we need something so ultimately desirable and treasurable that when we have it, giving our stuff away will be easy. Thomas Chalmers, a famous hymn writer, has this quote. And he says, The only way to remove one beautiful object on the soul is to show it an even more beautiful object. The only way to remove one beautiful object on the soul is to show it an even more beautiful object. 2,000 years ago, 
Jesus comes and dies in our place. He dies for our greed. He dies for our materialism. Jesus Christ takes on the full wrath and condemnation that we deserve in our place and pays the full debt of what we owed. You see, we have sinned, but Jesus was punished for it. That is why he says, it is finished. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The more you see Jesus as your eternal treasure, the more you will be able to give up your worldly treasures. And I'll conclude with this. I was at this restaurant the other day, and I noticed that this customer was giving this waitress a very, very, very difficult time. And I used to work in a restaurant, and I know how hard it is to be a server. Um, it's sometimes can be so cutthroat. And it was totally the customer's fault. I, I overheard the conversation from beginning till end. But the waitress was being poised, and she had character, even though you could tell she was a little fluttered, flustered. But she didn't get upset and continued to be polite as she could. And at that moment, I felt the Spirit of God convicting me to go and talk to her. I went downstairs, and I encouraged her by affirming that it wasn't her fault and that she didn't deserve that. And she did a great job at not getting upset, not talking back, not raising her voice, even though she could have. And she expressed how thankful she was for me coming down to talk to her. And I could tell that her mood totally changed. So I went back upstairs, and I could hear the customer next to us saying, I don't even think I'm going to tip. And again, I felt the Spirit telling me to do something right there, to tip her in a way that reflects the love of Jesus Christ. So I sat there for a bit, wrestling with myself, thinking, is it $10? Is it $20? Is it $40? And then a number came to my mind. And I knew that this was a number that God wanted me to give her. So I went downstairs. Some of you guys are probably thinking, how much was it? Tell us. We want it. $6.99. No, I'm kidding. I had to reflect the cross of Jesus Christ, right? And so I went downstairs, and I got everything processed, And her son's manager, who isn't a Christian, tells me that in all 16 years of his life, of being in the restaurant business, he's never seen someone so generous. He was literally flabbergasted. He was lost for words at why I would do something like this. He kept asking me, am I sure? And then I said, get behind me, Satan. No, I'm kidding. I said, said, I'm trying to do the will of my father. You got to get behind me. The devil is a liar. No, I said, yes, of course. You know, I'm 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 committed to this. I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't actually say that. So I said, yes, of course I'm committed to this. And we got to talking for a bit. And I told him I was a Christian. And I told him that God calls me to love people and to be generous with my money. And then he mentioned that he owned a burger joint in Oshawa. So he was in town in Toronto, and he was just helping his dad out for that day. And he says, oh, you remind me of one of my employees who's also a Christian. And I was like, oh, cool. And then he says, my buddy goes to this Christian school. It's called Tyndale. And some of you guys know that. I, I graduated. I did my undergrad and my master's at Tyndale. And I knew right there that God was orchestrating all of this. And, he's, and, 
And this guy was so encouraged by my generosity that he actually said, I'm going to pay it forward. And at the end of the night, when I was getting up to leave my table, the waitress stops me and said, thank you so much. I've never had someone do this for me. This totally made my week. And I said, you're welcome. And I just wanted to bless you for being such an awesome server, especially in times where people can be so rude. And so after when I went downstairs and I was about to leave the restaurant, the manager of the place stops me and just starts thanking me and telling me that that was so kind. And we actually end up talking for an hour. We talked about politics. We talked about religion, society, culture, marriage. I actually had, I was looking at my watch and I had like 10 or 15 minutes on my meter. But we were having like such a great conversation. Like as we're talking, I'm like wrestling, like if I say, hold on, I had to go pay my butt. All this stuff was going on. I ended up staying with him and just talking with him the whole night. So we talked about things like religion, society, culture, marriage, children, business. And it was, it was so awesome. Well, at least for an evangelist who's gifted in evangelist, for some of you guys, like your hands are sweating. Like, I could never do that. That's such a scary thing. I'd rather be like at home eating ice cream or something like that. Netflix binging. And by the end of the night, he gave me his personal number. He said, we should go for coffee sometime. He called me his friend, and he said, I'm welcome back here any time. By simply hearing God, trusting God, and obeying God, three people got to experience a taste of Jesus that evening. So let me close with this Bible verse, uh, Matthew 5, 14 to 16. If you are the light of the world, a city cannot be set on a hill. Nor does any light a lamp or anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on the lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When you live in such a radically generous way and people encounter Jesus, They will be perplexed. They will be brought to tears. They will be thankful. They will experience a love that they've never experienced before in their lives. Not only do you get to experience the peace, joy, and love of eternity now, but you also get the chance to extend that to somebody every single day. Nothing will preach Jesus louder than the way you live and love people in this world. And so give much Give often and give to the glory of God. Let's pray. God, you've given us so much, um, so many blessings on this earth. But the ultimate thing that you gave us was your son, Jesus Christ. He was cursed on the cross so that we could be blessed. Darkness came over him so that we could be light. He was put to death so that we could have life. God, freely you have given, so freely we give back. This is just a small way to show the love of Jesus to our world that's broken, that's in darkness, and that's hurting. So God, I pray that as we leave here today, that we wouldn't be living in darkness, but we would live for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, by the empowerment of of the Holy Spirit, and the grace and mercy that the Father gives us every single day. And pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.